you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Thursday, and in these episodes, we focus on one of two things. We'll either be sharing one of our favorite and most actionable talks from a Flip My Funnel event, or you'll hear Sangram and someone from the Terminus team discuss how they're getting better in a specific functional area of Terminus's business. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. Another episode, another fun guest. And this time it is someone who I met at Sears Decisions. And this was almost six months ago. And it's been crazy to just figure out our calendars and finally we have. So I'm super excited because I don't meet and have so many people who actually have ABM in their title. So we have Jillian Gartner, who is the head of account-based marketing at Thomson Writers. They're a company that's a global company, as many of us know, over 26,000 employees. And she wrote an article that is, is really, really cool that talks about five keys to success in account-based marketing. And uh, when I saw that, I said, we got to talk about this thing. So here we are after a ton of scheduling to finally chat about uh, the five keys to successful ABM. So Jillian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's awesome. So first of all, congratulations on having the title of ABM and running it at such a massive company. And I cannot wait to dig in. How do you get people's buy-in? How do you get, how do you measure success? How do you get people to see it? Because I hear in big companies, it's even harder, even though it makes sense. So I can wait to dig into all of that. But before that, can you share a little bit more about yourself and a fun fact? Yes. So Thank you again for having me on the show. I currently head up account-based marketing at Thomson Reuters, specifically for the legal division of the company, which is where a majority of the revenue comes from more than any other business unit. And it's been a great ride since I joined the company. Before working at Thomson Reuters, I've held pretty much almost every type of role in marketing, whether it was demand generation, product marketing, event marketing, and working on product launches, digital marketing. So prior to Thomson Reuters, I worked at a company called Sutherland, which is a digital transformation company based out of San Francisco and London and Rochester, New York. And then I also worked for CDS Global, which is a division of the Hearst Corporation, so a very large media conglomerate. And I spent a majority of my career there in mostly marketing roles, but I did have a three-year stint in sales and account management. And I believe that helped me become a stronger marketer in general. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be here on this podcast. You know, one fun fact about myself that I like to share that's kind of, kind of entertaining and most of my coworkers that I've ever worked with, they already know this, but when I was four years old, I was a child model for Little Tykes. And I was, it was just for about a year, but I was on the box of a toolkit. So it was basically a set of tools that were plastic toys for kids. So I remember, you know, sitting and holding a drill for what felt like hours um, <laughs> and smiling and Afterwards, I'd get apple juice, so that was my motive. But it was it was a lot of fun, and and so it's nice and fun to see you know how that brand has evolved over the years. But it was neat to be part of that. That is so cool. How old were you at that time? I was just four. It was really kind of entertaining. 
<laughs> uh, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> did you still have the toolbox uh, kind of somewhere in your house? Yeah, yeah, I do. And actually, my parents, this is embarrassing. My parents have a big picture of me and my sister also was a model for them, too. She gets to do a dollhouse and they have pictures of us blown up in their house. <laughs> of course. Which is kind of obnoxious. <laughs> But it was it was a fun time in the glory days. <laughs> wow, that is so cool. I have a daughter who's four, and I can only imagine if something like that happens, I think you would put a poster outside the house telling the world you know, <laughs> how awesome that yes. is. Yes. Yeah, so cool. it, was, it was a fun, fun time. Awesome. So, Jillian, obviously, you know, you have a, a really incredibly important role at a very massive company who is doing incredible. I think almost from a brand perspective, you guys obviously have a huge presence and a footprint. How and why is Thompson Reuters doing account-based marketing at all? That's a great question. So Thompson Reuters is investing in account-based marketing really across the company. And my focus is mainly in the legal space. But what we've seen is we're able to help positively influence deals that are high risk. So for existing customers that we can't afford to lose, we help retain those customers. And then we also leverage it from an acquisition standpoint and making sure that all of those customers that are with our competitors today that we need to gather for market share reasons and, and just to make sure that they are using the best possible tools for their business, we leverage ABM for acquisition purposes as well just to make sure that we're growing at scale and it provides a personalized experience for all of those customers, whether we're using one-to-one or one-to-few tactics, it's really, really helped improve our marketing efforts overall. That is super cool. And you have been in this role for about almost a year now, right? Yes. I've been in the, in the role about 10 months and it's been fun to see where we've taken the program When I joined, it was definitely a mature ABM program and with a great team and folks that had experience in both marketing and sales leading the charge from, you know, an account-based marketing standpoint. And so from that standpoint, it was really neat to jump in and bring in more digital touch points. And I was hired mainly to bring in more digital efforts to help us operate at scale. And so... We've leveraged tools like Terminus, and then we use other programs to help us personalize our web experiences, specifically Adobe Target. We've leveraged some gamification surveys and other traditional email email marketing and web marketing efforts as well to help build the program and, and grow it at scale. That is super cool. And now in one of your articles, like you know, around this this thing, you mentioned about establishing a strong partnership with sales and account management. Now I hear like sales and marketing alignment or partnership a lot. This is the first time I read something that says strong partnership between sales and account management. Can can you unpack that for me? Yes, absolutely. So really it's important for marketing, especially account-based marketing, to have a strong partnership with sales and account management. So at Thompson Reuters, some of our sales and account management teams are are within one team and others are separate. And so in order for us to really be successful in marketing to these accounts, we need to know what's going on. And no one knows these accounts better than the people working with them every day that operate in sales and account management. And so it's critical to capitalize on these insights. And so in order to make sure that 
ABM can have an impact, we need to establish a partnership with our sales partners and really enable them to trust us and help us build a strategy for these key accounts. So it's been critical more than ever for you know my time at Thomson Reuters and ABM and other times in my career where I've leveraged ABM. It's it's been more critical and more successful when we've engaged our sales channel early and often to make sure that we're working in lockstep with the sales process. So we don't want to send something to somebody if they've already signed a contract, or we don't want to get in the way, but we want to be supportive. And so in order to make that happen, we need to be close with the sales team and know exactly what's going on at all times so that we can be most effective when working together. I love that. That is a really good way. Now, I know, you know, one of the things that you have in this article beyond establishing strong partnership with sales and account management is around selecting the right accounts. Can you share how you select the right accounts? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. So from our standpoint in my current role, we continue with our strong partnership with account management and sales. And we take a look at specifically the largest accounts that we want to acquire. And then also the key accounts that our business can't afford to lose that might be up for, for renewal in the next six to 12 to 18 months. And so we build and work in lockstep with our sales team to make sure we're building those plans appropriately. But before we do that, when we're identifying these accounts, we need to make sure that there's you know, no outliers that we're not thinking of. So the sales team, as I mentioned before, they know what's going on with all of their accounts and they might have ideas of accounts that we may not have thought of that really should be included in this program. So, you know, working in partnership with sales to select the right accounts really enables us to employ a laser focused marketing approach and we'll continue to reevaluate the list that we work from multiple times a year. For my team, it's, it's usually quarterly or a little bit more often than that just so that we can review our priorities with the sales team and shift accounts in and out of the ABM program based on business needs. And that gets back to accounts that we want to renew or a need to renew and accounts that we need to acquire from a new business perspective. So how many accounts do you typically <clears throat> focus on in an ABM program? Because I heard you mentioned one-to-one, also one-to-many I'm just curious, if, how do you distinguish and how, do you, how many accounts do you focus on at any given time? Yeah, so we mainly focus on this year, it was right around 250 accounts. Next year, it'll likely be around 350 accounts. And so we've been able to increase that because we're leveraging more digital tools and building an always-on strategy for some of those companies. But we're constantly reviewing that list just to make sure that we're hitting the most impressive accounts that our business demands and and relies on. And ultimately to make sure that the customer has a good experience along the way. So we constantly review priorities. If there's firms that we know they're a big renewal risk for us, but they're not coming up for another 18 months, we may put them on hold for a while Mm. put them in an always-on marketing, digital marketing strategy, and then pull them back in when the time is right to engage at a more tactical level. 
That is so cool. Now, I'm, you know, as I'm reading through your article and it, now it's connecting all the dots for me, that one, <laughs> establishing partnership with account management, selecting the accounts, and especially if you're focused on 250, that means you are probably very much in tune with the intent information. When are they in the market? And as you kind of segmented them pretty much between larger accounts and key accounts, larger accounts that you want to go acquire and then key accounts that you want to retain. So it, it makes sense. And I love the always on because I think a lot of people forget that, you know, in, in B2B, you actually can have an always on campaign, which means you are in front of the companies that you want to make sure your brand is in front of them. And even if they're not ready to buy today, they may be ready to buy tomorrow. But if you have focus on a few accounts, you can actually deploy an always on campaign. I think and correct me if I'm wrong, I think in a traditional model, it's almost impossible to create an always-on model because you know, you'll have to put advertising or campaigns like this across every company out there, and that is just too much cost and time. Right. It's too much cost, too much time, too much work. But also, <laughs> I mean, ideally, it would be awesome to have all accounts always on at any given time. But given the resources that it takes to just just simply sift through the data and make sure that from a data perspective, we have what we need and that we're targeting the right firms at the right time. It's not totally scalable yet to include all of our customers in ABM. That's beautiful. That's good to know. Now, you also mentioned about executing at scale. What do you mean by that? Yes. So my team, I think I mentioned before, we have two account-based marketing managers, a marketing specialist, and myself. And so it's a small but mighty team marketing to these 300 plus accounts. And so we're not able to do everything at all times. So we needed to really execute at scale, which is really bringing an opportunity to drive personalized approaches and highly personalized touch points combined with our marketing strategy at scale. So there's many digital tools available to help deliver the right message to the right audience at the right time. And it's really easy to spend a lot of money on a lot of different services. So evaluating what's most important for your business to help give you that scale is really important. So for us at Thomson Reuters, we have leveraged digital message delivery really in the form of account-based advertising, specifically using Terminus. We also have web personalization, so backtracking on the IP address of someone that lands on our website. We'll give them a personalized view of our website based on what page they land on. We've also leveraged gamification, content syndication, and more. And really operating at scale often means digital, but it doesn't always have to be. My team has seen strong success from handling everything from scalable events, also direct mail to help open doors and build relationships with our top accounts. And we're able to measure quickly in ABM to see what's working and what's not. And we're able to open doors and build relationships quickly, especially with direct mail combined with digital. So when we see a direct mail piece work as an example, we'll identify other firms that might benefit from that same message or a modified version of that message that we can get out the door quickly without too much work creatively to reinvent the wheel. I think that part of like this high tech and high touch combination is super powerful. I'm so glad you shared that as an example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely something to be said about combining digital with dimensional mailers and a, and a blended approach because we, we've seen the most success from that overall. 
Love it. So now here's the big question for you. How do you measure success and how do you report success? I think a lot of people struggle with is like, oh yeah, this sounds great. You know, getting in front of the right people, creating one-to-one campaigns and getting them to the right highly personalized page and doing direct mail with them. It just all sounds just the right thing to do. So yeah, we should all be doing that. But then I think people struggle a lot with showing success because in traditional world, the, the measure of success is number of leads. And, and that is definitely not, not always the case when you're going after 250 accounts. You already know the universe. You're no longer in a open world trying to figure out everything. You just, you have, in your case, 250 accounts that you're going after. So it's no longer just leads from any and everywhere. Then the question becomes, how do you measure success? And how do people looking into ABM say that, oh, this is working or this is not working? Yes. So you're spot on when you said it's not always about leads because for our ABM program at Thompson Reuters, it's not all about leads. Uh, While we do have some new leads come in, it's not where we've seen the most success in our program. So when we measure ABM, we measure mainly on win rate. And so what that means is for every deal that's closed, we evaluate if those closed deals were won or lost in Mm. a given year. And our ABM program has been really fortunate this year where of all of the deals that have closed in a given year, 95% that are in ABM have won and 5% were lost. So it was, it's been very, very successful this year and has been in the past as well. Wow. 95%. Yeah. It's great. And I'm, I'm hoping that goes up as we move towards the end of the year, but Really, our efforts are, are measured on win rate. We also, given our push to add digital to the mix, we have to have at least 75% of all of our ABM accounts have some sort of multi-touch digital model or digital efforts included in their account plan and executed, executed upon. And we've been fortunate this year with our goal being 75%, we exceeded that and gave every account at least one or two digital touch points and many, several more than that to make sure that our brand is in front of them at all times. And then we're tracking really in general, we also track how the sales team thinks we're doing. So we send twice annually, we send a survey. I send it to our, our contacts in the sales and account management team to verify, is ABM working? Are you seeing value from the program? If not, why not? If you are, what do you think is working the most? And that helps fuel ideas and results for future programs that we can do. And where we're investing in areas where the sales team is seeing most value, we're able to gain even more buy-in for future efforts. I love that. So, I love that. That That is, I mean, yeah. that's that result of like 95% win with ABM kind of underscores the importance of focus and why ABM kind of works. Wow. That, that's super cool. So, so, the, so yeah. I, mean, I don't even know where, where do we add? Like, I don't even want to go anywhere. Like this should be like the highlight of <laughs> the whole podcast. So let me, let me just try to recap some of the big ideas I noted down and I would love Julian for you to share a challenge in the end on what can people do or how should people get started with ABM? Maybe somebody's still on the fence listening to it. Like, you know, something that you did that got you going and thereby got you success or somebody who already might be doing ABM, but not seeing success and and some tips that, that you might have. So 
As a wrap up, I think the five big success keys for ABM and all the success that Julian shared is really captured in this blog post. So I'll make sure it's linked in this podcast and, and a blog that we will write later on on flipmyfunnel.com. But it's around first establish a strong partnership, select the right accounts. I think none of us can overstate that. If it's not the right accounts, then yeah, rest is just doesn't really matter. You can execute, the number three is you can execute at scale. And I think as you're doing with 250 accounts and going to 350 accounts, scale doesn't mean doing anything and everything for every account. It's really figuring out the right accounts and then executing at scale, both at one-to-one level when, when it makes sense for acquisition, or, or also in your case, you're also doing that for your high value existing customers. And I hope nobody misses that big point. It is not just for acquisition, but also for pipeline velocity. It's also for customer marketing. It's also for retention. So I love that you have both of those as part of your, your team structure and thought process. Um, and the number four is gain actionable insight and analytics as you shared like, wow, 95% of the win of all that, that you have seen winning are have some sort of ABM touch point or intersection and that's part of your 250 accounts. I mean, that is just a beautiful, beautiful stat to, 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 be, to be really proud of, of the team and the effort they're putting in. And then finally, just operating with agility to drive results. But there's one more thing that I noted down, which was this idea of always on for the right accounts, it, it makes sense. And there's a way to do an always on, but you can only do that when you're, when you're focused on a few accounts. And then the, the last point you shared was around survey. I'd never heard this before, but it seems like you do a survey with your sales team to find out what worked, what didn't work, and just didn't assume anything. So I felt like that was a really big, big nugget of information. I'm sure there were a lot more ideas and thoughts there that, that people can glean from, but is there a challenge that you want to share with the listeners, Jillian? Yes, of course. So I think, you know, just putting myself in the shoes of people that want to do ABM or have been thinking about it, but just haven't had the bandwidth. I think it's critical to just try it. Give it a shot. Give it a fair chance. And you can even start small. Pick five or even 10 accounts that you think are most important to your business and find a way to specialize the marketing that you do for them and the way that you reach out to them. I saw very high success with this when I first started using ABM practices when I was with a company owned by Hearst early on in my career. And we did one-to-one marketing and it was truly ABM before it was a big thing. (laughs) And we tested it with two different accounts and one of the two firms signed on right away to work with us. So I think giving it a shot and trying something, whether it's at scale or not, whether it's a customized direct mail piece for one specific company, or if, you know, and, and being able to execute that, you need to be in lockstep with your sales team. If building a strong relationship with sales is too hard out of the gate, try some digital efforts. You know, use some personalized account-based ads or web personalization, even personalization within emails that can really drive simple results, but creating a personalized experience for those accounts and making them see the value of your brand and what you bring to the table. So I think if anything can be taken from this, my biggest piece of advice is to just give account-based marketing a chance and really try it at a small level to get started. 
I love that. Small and nimble, test out, prove your worth, get your sales team behind you. Maybe it's one sales rep in one region that you can focus on. And then that salesperson will probably become your greatest advocate to get the rest of the organization behind you on the program. So I agree thousand percent. I've seen that done a few number of times in, in companies and that is really the way to go. So again, Julian, what you're doing is putting marketers back on the map and, and showing that marketers don't just have to think about pretty pictures and events and activity driven. They can actually be revenue driven. And when you share something that shows 95% of the win, I uh, have some sort of influence on the accounts that you were targeting. I think it really creates for, you know, really creates a great story and something that you should be extremely proud of with your team. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.